Welcome to episode 78 of the GameBots Podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and this is my co-host. It's Christian. On this week's episode, Christian and I both watched the 1996 movie Twister. Christian watched a show called Hinterlands. And uh, last week, there was the PlayStation 5 announcement, finally. And we're going to talk about some of the reveals from that, as well as just some of the games maybe to look forward to on the PlayStation 5. But first, Christian, we both watched Twister, and I think when we were talking about Outbreak, you you had talked about this one. You were a fan of this prior to watching it, right? Oh, yes. So I am, I am interested to talk to you about this because <laughs> while I did not like – I don't think I disliked this movie. It was it was not what I remember. The last time I saw this was in nineteen either 1996 or 1997 whenever it came on VHS, <laughs> and I have not seen it since then. And it is nothing like I remember. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, this was one of my favorite movies growing up. Like, there was, I, I think we probably talked about this during Outbreak too. but there was, in the 90s, like, a big string of just disaster movies. So it was Dante's Peak and Volcano and Twister and Independence Day and Armageddon and Deep Impact. Like, just one after another after another. And man, I, I was here for almost all of them. And so anytime I would see this, that if it was just on TV, like up until I, I got my own place and stopped paying for cable, uh, if like if it was on like ABC or something, I'd watch it almost every time. Dude, I it's funny you mentioned those disaster movies because we watched Outbreak and I often have been like the link between like childhood development and media is overblown. But also when I was growing up, I had, I don't know if it's a fear, but I had an irrational worry that certain things in my life would come up more like quicksand, twisters, <laughs> volcanoes, piranhas, anacondas. Uh, most of those tied directly to movies I saw when I was growing up. Oh man, I forgot all about anaconda. <laughs> right. To be well, fair, I mean, twisters are a real thing. They just don't hit our area. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, you say anaconda's like... One of my favorite movies growing up was a, a like a terrible movie that I don't even think got a theatrical release called Komodo, and it was about a Komodo dragon on like a Florida Key or something that that killed this family. I, to this day, Komodo dragon is my favorite animal. Dude, Komodo, the Komodo dragons are awesome, but <laughs> not too, not too many of them walking around America. No, <laughs> no, I, I would hope not. Otherwise, they they might drop a couple rungs. Yeah, I mean, they are fast. I think, what is their top speed, like 35 mile an hour or something like that? Oh, yeah, they're great. Yeah, okay, sorry, getting off, <laughs> getting off hey, man, Komodo listen. talk. Yeah, I mean, I, you you bring me into Komodo talk, that's what this episode's going to be about. I'm <laughs> like, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. um, but, like, yeah, I mean, from 1996 to present day, honestly, like, I was a little concerned right at the jump because when when it flashes to present day um after like the the Helen Hunt childhood flashback we are treated to a very shoddy like CG shot of a satellite up above the planet oh yeah and i was a little concerned but i got to say other than that there's only one or two places in this movie where the CG jumps out as being like 90s otherwise it's i think it holds up right because I, I, I pulled the wiki I look at the Wikipedia article to see who the directors and actors are and stuff. And so like I saw it had won and I it either was nominated or it won an Oscar for visual design. 
And then I, I saw that and I was like, oh, man. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Like the twisters and stuff generally hold up like they look fine. The only other thing I can think of is the cow on the yeah. rewatch was kind of like, oh, that was CG. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, the you, you said about the, the cast and crew, like the cast in this is phenomenal. It's a it's, lot of big names. Yeah. Like Bill Paxton, Helen Hunter, the leads. Carrie Elwes is the, the like nonsensical bad guy storm chaser um uh what's his name philip seymour hoffman is on the team alan ruck is on the team like this is this always has more people in it than i remember it having like if i'm just at first glance yeah and normally i would say we can go through like chronologically but twister does not really have a plot so i think we can just kind of go off the cuff here on (laughs) on thoughts on these guys because I, I watched this movie and I texted you and the entire plot is they're like, we need to get these, I don't know, snow globes into a twister <laughs> and they have five twisters. Literally they're inside of them five different times, but they can't release them for some reason. Like that is their entire problem when it's like, I don't know why this is so hard. Yeah. That's see, that's something that, that hit me this time when like, now that I'm looking at it more critically, like there are definitely holes in this. This is not a great movie, just on its face, but I just love it. I don't know if it's just nostalgia, but yeah, l- looking at it more critically, as a kid, I was like, oh, you know, the twister knocked over the can that has the, the orbs in it. Of course, it's ruined. But Wait, like, but It's like, why the, the, did they go in the twister? Like, yeah, the, there's like the a can, semi-truck being blown by... <laughs> the, the can wasn't... Yeah, the can wasn't the instrument. It was all the little orbs. Like, they would get sucked up. All you'd have to do is basically do what they did like spread them on the pavement they'll go up it's a it's a tornado they kept at the end they're like here's the issue we gotta wait down the the more and i was like okay i guess that makes sense because they're like we need to release it in the eye of the tornado but i I have no idea how tornadoes work i'll be fair but i feel like if they're blowing (laughs) around like if you release them anywhere you'll get some data like (laughs) go somewhere well i mean you're right on the same page with the people in the movie then because they straight up say Nobody knows how a tornado works. Yeah, and that's actually what I was most interested to talk to you about because you know much more about environmental science than I do. <laughs> how accurate is this movie on some of the stuff they said? Because from from like uh you know me, I have no background on this, and some of it seemed like well, I cannot outwardly just be like this is wrong, like an outbreak. <laughs> um, so I I tended to think like oh maybe it is more realistic, but then at other times there's just some parts where I was like, that that does not sound right. It it reminds me of that scene from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where uh, Max says something like, that sounds wrong, but I don't know enough about stars to dispute it. Right, right. Um, yeah, so I feel, I and I, I'm not 100% clear on, like, the history of when we started understanding these things, but it seems to me that in the mid-90s, we definitely understood how tornadoes worked. Like, like we for like, sure we we for sure understand it currently. <laughs> literally, like it was 1996, and the exact line was "No one knows how tornadoes form" or something like that. And I was like, I think they do. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm pretty sure we did because I feel like after I watched this movie, I started reading all about it as a kid. And so yeah, I mean it's just hot like hot air and cold air meet, and they meet really often in the middle of the United States just because of, like, the geography of the region. And the 
quickest way for two layers like that to get past each other is is in like a twisting funnel. You can do this. You can create basically the exact same situation if you're dumping out a two liter bottle of of Coke. Say like you you're dumping it into like a pitcher or something. If you spin the bottle, like on 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 the axis that it's dumping through, so that you can create a vortex inside the bottle, it will empty without making that like glug glug glug, and and it'll empty super quickly, because that's just the most efficient way for two like two mediums to get past each other. So it it happens completely naturally just because it's the easiest way, and I'm pretty sure we have understood that from at least from before the the early nineties. And, and I guess that's what kind of got to me because I did not understand what these instruments were actually supposed to figure out. Like, they basically said, oh, we will be able to extend our notification of tornadoes by five times from, like, three to 15 minutes, which sounds great. But I don't know how them getting – like, I, that's, you're right. I just don't know enough, like, how them – finding out about wind like wind patterns or whatever those things are going around and because they're just measuring their position on like a satellite tracker i don't understand how that goes from that to analyzing that data to being like okay we can predict 15 minutes or 12 minutes earlier now when a tornado will form yeah now they were saying things like oh these little balls are making all sorts of readings air pressure wind speed and whatever else so like that would all be valuable information to gain about that specific tornado but and i one of my best friends growing up grew up to be be a meteorologist and i don't know that he's still exactly in that field but he definitely still has all the training and i meant to text him before this and i ran out of time but i i cannot at least from the the classes that i had on it i cannot imagine that taking real-time data from inside an active tornado will help in any way to like predict the next one you would need real-time data from right before it happened so that you could see like okay this is what it looks like right before a tornado strikes but once it's already struck it it feels like you're just you're just getting information about that tornado right and i could see something where it's like oh we get an idea of when these wind currents go around each other like maybe it you could get that data to predict how they will move but again i i was not seeing any correlation onto like it forming but regardless i mean it it is a movie but yeah i mean for sure that they somebody uh, like big upstairs was like we need to make a movie we need to make it about storm chasers give me it like shoot me a plot right they were like they're studying it and they need to throw something into it and he's like perfect make it get it done yeah get bill paxton I mean, that's also, like, part of the crux is, like, the the backstory of Helen Hunt's character is that they didn't have enough warning time, so it makes sense, story-wise, why they would be hunting this down. And you see, like, the destruction when people don't have more than, you know, a minute or two to get to a storm shelter, just, like, damage that these tornadoes do cause to actually settled areas. Um, So I, I did think they did a good job on that, but in the beginning of the movie, I... Like, the whole point of Helen Hunt's character is a tornado killed my dad, so I hate tornadoes. Her dad did not make the right... Am I wrong that her dad could have could have lived? Yeah, so they're in this storm cellar, and the mom and, and the small child Helen Hunt, and presumably the dog, are all just standing in the back behind the canned goods, and the dad's trying to hold the door down, like, by himself. And A, you're not going to win that fight. You're up against an EF5, never going to happen. 
but the dad's trying to hold the door down by himself and I mean of course he fails but Helen Hunt the mom and the dog presumably all survive I mean Helen Hunt obviously survived if if the dad was just back there with the canned goods he I mean th- maybe the movie just never would have happened right and this is kind of my problem with <laughs> throughout the movie is and again I don't know a lot about tornadoes but at parts I feel like they treat tornadoes like a vacuum like are tornadoes like that can you get sucked into them from an area like i thought it was the winds that push you into it yeah it's tornadoes aren't really dangerous on their face it's like an earthquake it's more about the like it's about the collateral damage it's about the shrapnel Mm -hmm. like yeah you're not gonna get really like pulled up into one like like a vacuum cleaner yeah you're gonna get blown mostly sideways that's that's why I could not figure out why he was like battering to keep that door shut. But I I swear that some points on this like you would just see like screws pull out of concrete and it's like I don't how are how is that working? Like I don't think the wind would just pull a screw out of the concrete. Yeah, the the wind is definitely more of a like push force than a pull force. Right, like it would break or not even concrete, but like wood, like it would break the wood apart. Like I don't yeah. know. Yeah, and I mean like certain that. like certain ones will break up concrete. Like it, it takes about three hundred mile an hour winds to to like pull the asphalt off the ground, and like EF fives don't necessarily get quite that bad, but like they would definitely be able to shatter like masonry walls. Like bricks will bricks will get blown down. Like cinder block will get blown down. Really, no problem. Gotcha. Uh, move, moving on from that. Uh, I, I saw one of your notes. What did you think of the ragtag group of storm chasers? I love them so much. Like, as a kid, I wanted so badly to be a storm chaser after I watched this movie. Like, I remember in third grade, my, my elementary school teacher asked me, what do you want to be? And, like, we had to do a paper, and I read a whole paper about wanting to be a storm chaser. I was obsessed and I gotta say, watching this movie again, I felt it just a little bit. Like, I don't even know if Storm Chaser is a, a real job currently, but, like, I'm in. Uh, and when they when they all jumped in their trucks and they were like, the tornado's coming, we gotta go. Oh, man. I was so excited. They make these Storm Chasers seem like complete weirdos. <laughs> Which I, I, I kind of get. I'm imagining that these guys work for a college or something because they're like, we're, we're doing it for the science, and they rip on Bill Paxton's character so much for becoming a weatherman. <laughs> but, like, they're like, you know, at one point I think they're like, those guys are in it for the money. But, like, who is, who is funding this? It's either a college or the Weather Channel, right? Like, there's not a lot of funding in this from outside sources. Yeah, well, it seemed like... It seemed like Helen Hunt's character was, like, funding it herself. Because they they contract... Uh, they contrasted a lot with Carrie Elwes' evil team. And the entire point of hit, like... The entire reason they cast him as, like, an evil storm chaser is because they say, yeah, he's in it for the money. He got, like, a corporate sponsorship. But... Is she then independently the, wealthy? Like, yeah, but then at the end, twenty people. <laughs> then at the end, uh, after Dorothy works, spoilers, they, they get their orbs up into the sky. After Dorothy works, she's she says something like, "Oh, I'm gonna have to apply for grant money," and so you're left sitting there going, "You didn't before? Like, where did all this stuff come from?" 
That's what I, so my what I had assumed was she was working for a university of some sort and she had like a grant to storm chase it to at least get this data and now she would need to apply for another grant to get funding to analyze this data but I do not know any college grant that would <laughs> fund the team the size she has unless those are all undergrads in like her class or something doing this for credit. I got the distinct impression, and this is honestly, having not really thought about it much as a kid, thinking back, this is probably what I imagined then too. I think these guys are all hobbyists. Maybe that, I mean, you're right, maybe that is what they are. Because I don't, I truly don't think storm chasing is a profession. Like, I, these guys have to all have other jobs, and then it's like, oh, it's tornado season, we're going to get to Oklahoma or whatever. Like, that's what it felt like, this this ragtag group, and they all have, like, little camper vans that have real shoddy computers and things. They just, yeah, they seemed like hobbyists. Okay, so maybe that's what it is. Which makes it even crazier that then they <laughs> created the technology that's competing with the corporately funded guys. Except, the, did you notice the main distinction of Dorothy versus Dot Two or whatever they called it was one was an orb and one was a cube. Absolutely perfect. Like even as a kid, I was like, "Oh, the well, that's the evil one because it's angular or whatever." <laughs> Those guys are real squares. <laughs> Yeah, he opened that thing up, and it was because Helen Hunt's machine just has like mirror cube, or mirror balls, and his just has mirror cubes. And I was like, "Well, they stack nicer in the other one." What did you think of the bad guys in this? Like, they they did not make any sense to me. Yeah, I guess just the idea of a rival storm chaser just. To include some form of human drama is silly on its face. We had enough human drama with the Bill Paxton, Helen Hunt, Jamie Gertz love triangle. Right. These bad guys seem forced. Like, bad guys would totally make sense if this was... And this is kind of what is positive. Is they're, like, on a treasure hunt for the tornado data. <laughs> but a tornado is not, like, a finite resource that like once someone finds it you can't get it like you both could throw your stuff in there oh yeah and i remember not that long ago describing the plot of twister and saying oh yeah and carrie elwes is in it as the bad guy and somebody asked me how do you have a bad guy in a tornado movie like is carrie elwes working with the tornado like uh <laughs> no not really <laughs> it's he's complicated <laughs> He's not even, like, actively preventing them from getting their data. He's just, like, chasing them and didn't help them at one point. Like, he's not actually that bad. The only reason we think he's the bad guy is because, the uh, like, the main characters are, like, they're the bad guys. <laughs> he stole my research. But did he? <laughs> yeah. Never, n never really clear. <laughs> right. He's like, I mean, you gave me an idea and I independently came up. Look, it's a cube. It's completely different. <laughs> I wonder if that would hold up, like, if... Bill Paxton tried to sue, like, if he'd survived and Bill Paxton tried to sue him, if he could be like, nah, your thing's a ball and my thing's a cube. It's totally different. <laughs> totally different. We don't even know if they measure the same things. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you assume they do because they have similar names, but... <laughs> oh, man. Well, I also, like, the bad guy, the... I'm putting quotes, the bad guys just <laughs> randomly die, and I feel like we're supposed to be like, yeah, they deserved it. <laughs> They did. It. They did it. Yeah, we we definitely are supposed to believe that because Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt re reach out at the end and say something like, 
oh, you, like you're gonna get too close. You gotta turn around, and, and they're like, ah, we're not gonna listen to you. And then they get they get vacuum cleanered up into the sky. They were they were driving <laughs> next to a mile wide tornado, and they were like, no way that it's going to get us. They were like a hundred yards away. Wild. And then, of course, like, where does Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt go? Literally right to where those last people just died. They were like, this is the perfect place to dispense Dorothy. How many times did Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt end up so close to a tornado with everything, like, tractor trailers getting whipped around, like, cars, and they're just standing there. Like, they're not being blown at all. Eric, I counted. They were inside of tornadoes three times in this movie. In like not nearby, inside of tornadoes three times in this movie. Right, what, right at the beginning where they get stuck under the bridge, which they would be eleven different kinds of dead in that scene alone. Then they get stuck inside those like three water spouts that all merge into one. And that's right after the the cow scene, and then of course at the end when they are like dangling upside down from the sky. Do they not, does a tornado, well, I guess they are physically in those, but does a tornado go over them when they are in the auto shop too? I can't remember. Uh, I think one of the, one of her guys tells Jamie Gertz that it just like, it grazed them. It, it All right, just went and past. Then, and then it destroyed, Wa- I forget the name of that town, Wakita yeah, or yeah. something. Okay. Well, that was the ninja tornado. It, they Everybody was having just a good night at the drive-in and then all of a sudden there was a tornado right behind the movie theater. and then it was thrown hubcaps like ninja stars yeah oh man a scene that also happens in the the amazing movie hurricane heist except they use the hubcaps as weapons i i was wondering about that because hubcaps are like they're not that heavy and it it seemed like you know it cut the guy's head but i was wondering like would that have done more damage or was that scientifically accurate if you just got whipped in the head with a hubcap yeah i don't know in in hurricane heist they they're in like an auto shop and (laughs) they they say something like oh the winds are however many hundred miles an hour and then they in hurricane heist there's also bad guys and so they're like hemmed in and they start throwing hubcaps into the wind and i'm pretty sure it decapitates a couple people well, I mean, I would believe that because at a certain point, like, hurricanes, or not hurricanes, sorry, um, tornadoes and stuff, like, you saw it at the end, like, they can put, like, things just through wood, you know? Yeah. So I, I could see that happening. I don't know how cleanly decapitated they would be, but <laughs> I could see that. Um, so we had touched on this a little bit, but there is a, I think the main, other than the twisters, which I think honestly take up 50% of this movie... <laughs> The rest of this movie is like the love triangle between Bill Paxton, his new fiance, and his ex-wife, Helen Hunt. Yes. Did you enjoy this storyline? Not during any time that I've watched this movie have I enjoyed this this plotline. I I really felt bad for his his fiance and what's her name? Carrie or Melissa? Melissa's her Melissa. character's name. Uh, I felt bad for her from the beginning because <laughs> Helen Hunt's a jerk to her. Like they couldn't just get her to sign it through like a lawyer or something like it. And then she gets forced along on this and Bill Paxton clearly starts having feelings for his ex-wife like immediately when she shows him <laughs> Dorothy. Yeah. And then he he keeps just like you said, he, she, she just keeps getting brought along 
on these increasingly more and more dangerous situations. Like, if you want to storm chase, that's fine, but don't bring just random people along with you, like, oh, we were just on this drive to get these papers signed, but you know what? Let's drive into a tornado. That sounds like a good time. Right. It, she she honestly had some of the funniest lines of the movie because she's a relationship therapist and you just heard random calls of hers. Oh my god, yeah, some of those were great. But then she, she of course, utters the... Uh, well, um, Helen Hunt says cow, and then she she's on the phone with one of her clients and says something like, Julie, I gotta go, we got cows. That was always one of my favorite lines. Yeah, I, I liked her, and honestly... Honestly, Christian, I felt like, and I feel good for for writing this, <laughs> Bill Paxton was an emotional twister for her because he just <laughs> came into her life, was like, we're going to get married, and then just bailed on her, <laughs> upended her, and then disappeared with Helen Hunt. This movie's a straight metaphor. Yeah, I think he's the real bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> not Carrie Owens, not the twisters, it's all Bill Paxton. Honestly, I think he's probably, if you look at objectively of people's, like, actions in the movie, he brought his fiance to be like, okay, I'm divorcing this woman, and then within eight hours was like, we're breaking up and I'm going back with my ex-wife. That's, the, the timeline of this movie watching it this time blew me away, because as a kid, I'm pretty sure I thought this took place over, like, a week and a half. But this is yes. definitely, like, like, a 12 to 15 hour story. Yeah, so I am going to throw this to you because you clearly knew, I saw in your note know more about this than me. But in you know like twelve or fifteen hours, they see like they go to five or six tornadoes, which I did not know if that's like during hurricane or tornado season. Like, does that happen? Do those happen that often? Like, are there that many touchdowns? It's not super common, but there are there, there are things called super outbreaks, and so the the last big one was two thousand eleven. And over the course of, like, six states, so it was, I mean, Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, that, that kind of area, and over the course of four days, there were so many tornadoes, and on April 27th alone, there were 216 touchdowns. Wow, that is, I mean, that is a lot. Yeah, four of them were FEF5s, which is the highest of, of the category. Like the Over those, yeah, over those four days, like, 316 people died. And it did somewhere north of $10 billion in damage. So it's not unheard of that you're going to have tornadoes clustered like that, but it is not also super common. So you said four of those were EF5s, which then leads me back to when in the movie when they're describing like F1, F2 through F5, and they're like only one person with us has seen an F5. They seem to be more common than, than they implied. Yeah, they I mean, they are the rarest because they are the strongest. But for a team of storm chasers that have seemingly been doing this for like years and years, they every one of them should have seen an EF five at that point, right? Because yeah, they they get they get like hushed and almost reverent when they start talking about an EF five like it's a like a touchy subject, and it's well christian they literally call it the finger of god like this is like the worst possible you know like it, i mean clearly they're natural disasters but this is like cataclysmic level the way they're talking about yeah. it and for the town that it hits i mean it absolutely is but <laughs> sure <laughs> uh, the yeah the the level of reverence that they give it seems a little they're just trying to up the stakes right for uh 
of course, this movie's going to culminate in an EF5, and we have to make sure everybody knows what a big deal that is. Right, but for scientists, I feel like they would have studied them too, and it's not like, oh, we don't talk about EF5s. <laughs> like, it'll, saying their name, it's Voldemort, it'll just kill oh, no. <laughs> well, it did happen. <laughs> You're, yeah, I, I could have seen that level of deference if Helen Hunt had been in the room, since one did kill her, like, her dad. Right. But she was upstairs in the shower. <laughs> they could have easily just said, oh, yeah, like, we don't, we try not to bring it up around, uh, around whatever, around Joe. But, yeah, they're pretty bad. But also, like, Helen Hunt's character, you, if you generalize that more, like, he, he was killed by a tornado, and her profession is hunting tornadoes. Yeah. It's, like, you'd think she'd be over it to some extent. Well, it's the Batman situation. <laughs> she has to destroy <laughs> what made her. I mean, just the things that they go through. They went, they, Bill Paxton drives through a house. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're driving down the road and tractors are falling from the sky and Helen Hunt feels the need to keep screaming go left, go right, go left he can see the tractors they're huge I know. and then I yeah, a house, a house rolls onto the road and stops and they drive through it but <laughs> I actually rewound it because they drive into like a bay window and then they seemingly <laughs> drive up a staircase I did, and I did out, not rewind it. They, they drive up a staircase and out another window. But the house is on its side, so they shouldn't have yeah. been driving up a staircase at all. And when I looked at the size of the house from the outside, it did not look nearly big enough. to Because they drove through, like, three rooms. I mean, they also had, like, a big truck. Like, they are driving oh, yeah. F-250 or whatever that equivalent in in 1996 is like it it was not a small truck and but it must have been heavy as hell because the tornado didn't pick it up when it had picked up a like a tanker truck full of presumably gasoline i mean it exploded it was some sort of <laughs> flammable material yeah just picked up that tanker truck up no problem tossed it directly over the the ford that they were driving that's like that was the other thing that kept bothering me because I was trying to figure out like well maybe it directly went over it and it like whipped it around a couple times so it had you know it had force and they were <laughs> too far away but I don't know man like yeah some of those things made me wonder especially at the end when they tied themselves to those pipes mm. with leather straps I believe those pipes would still be standing with the, the the speed of that wind and all that shrapnel flying around like you're talking about earlier. I think those straps either would have broken or they would have been pierced with something in that tornado. Oh, for sure. They're dead. They were dead in every single tornado that they went into, except maybe the water spout they could have survived, because water spouts aren't quite as big a deal as like a full-on tornado. But the water spouts were, what, an F2, and that was the only one that actually spun their truck. Yeah, true. <laughs> but in the, the first one where they get stuck in the ditch, they go under that bridge, and I, I know I'd been told that under a bridge is almost the worst place you could be during a tornado. Like, it's for sure better than just out in the open, but being in a confined space like that actually amplifies the wind speed because the same amount of wind has to squeeze through a smaller area. And then they, at the end, they ran into that first barn and it was full of machetes and scythes and stuff. That stuff's all still going to be flying through the air, even if it's the next building over. <laughs> I will say that was actually a good comedic moment when they're like, who are these people? And, like, run through it. They're like, we're not staying here. Yeah, I did like that. 
Um, okay, so do you know how this movie fared with its budget and the box office? So this is something I was actually really interested to look at because I do remember this being a fairly popular movie when I was young, and I was apparently pretty right about that. The budget was between 88 and 92 million. The box office was 495 million dollars. That is absurd. Yeah, no, it, it crushed the box office. And you're right. This was this was a hit when it came out. Like I remember hearing about it. The cow scene was like iconic for a while <laughs> where it would be spoofed in basically parody movies or cartoons or or commercials and things like that. So I mean, it was a, it was a big movie. Yeah. I just that's that's amazing that it made that much money. I'm surprised the box office is so low for how good the CG is. Or the yeah, yeah the budget. Uh, and so critic-wise, this has a 57% on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of 58%, which I, I know you like this more than me, but I actually think that I, I find that fair. I, my opinion's along those lines. Like, it's not a bad movie, but I definitely thought it, it, it had some issues. I mean, objectively, that's probably in the the right ballpark but i still find it offensively low 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. yeah 101 let's it's perfect <laughs> we're, we're we're redoing the scale <laughs> this is one of those uh, movies that i feel like growing up i i was always this is also one of the reasons why it, it took me 12 years to get my undergrad because I latch onto things like this and it's like oh this is what I want to do and so I can never make up my mind but this is definitely one of those movies growing up where it was like oh I'm gonna go out in my backyard with a camcorder and we're gonna remake scenes from Twister that's that's for (laughs) sure like how I lived my childhood you're like you're like last night searching you're like all right I gotta find a new undergrad program for tornadoes (laughs) like we didn't even have a camcorder I don't know we didn't even have a camcorder growing up. I don't know what, <laughs> what I thought was stole going. your neighbors? Yeah, I was just like, uh, I guess like we're just going to go out into the backyard and reenact this and not capture it in any way. <laughs> that was my fun. Well, I'm glad we chose a movie that you like genuinely enjoy because, I mean, it, it is fun talking to you about it because uh, you clearly have more of a passion for it than I do. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it's movies like this. It's I think growing up in the '90s, watching all those disaster movies. I, I, I don't know if anyone listens to this who who doesn't know me personally, but I I am I I have an undergrad in uh, geoscience, and so I think watching those movies as a kid really kind of shaped me into wanting to go in the field that I actually went into eventually. Uh, I I think I know this answer, but would you suggest our audience check this out? A hundred percent, yes. If you can get past the awkward tension of Helen Hunt pretending to find an extra page in her divorce papers that she conveniently forgot to sign, you're gonna love this movie. Yeah, I, I don't know if I, I don't think I would recommend this one. <laughs> I like, I think the Twister parts are cool, but there's just so many shots of them just driving into Twisters and then running away on foot that. I feel like I got it after the first two or three times. <laughs> it does. It, yeah, it might not stay. It's welcome for some people. I feel like if you've listened to this and you're like, that sounds good or that doesn't, like, you will follow along those lines when you watch it. <laughs> yeah, trust your gut. All 
right, Christian. So you recently watched a Netflix series called Hinterlands that I've honestly never heard of. Uh, what is this? This is a Welsh crime drama TV show that is not good. (laughs) (laughs) How many episodes are there? Uh, There's 13 total. It's three seasons. So it's uh, three episode, four episode, three episode. And it's, it's, I don't know if it originally aired on BBC or not, but it's along the lines of like Sherlock where the episodes are 90 minutes long. Or like, it sounds a little bit like Midsummer Murder also along those same, same lines. Yeah. So it's a mystery of the week where these these uh, detectives in Wales try to solve a murder or an arson. And it's, I think it's murder 12 out of 13 times. I think it's only arson once. Uh, I am curious about this one because I know some of the British shows, when you get outside of just like the standard British accent, are they easy to understand? For the most part, honestly, Welsh is maybe my favorite accent in the world. It's very sing-songy. The, uh, the elves in Lord of the Rings, one of their languages was based in Welsh, and so if you watch it in Welsh with English subtitles, it straight up sounds like Lord of the Rings, and I think that's fun. That's crazy. Uh, so you said it's just like a, basically a murder of the week solving in, in one arson uh who are the main characters in this the main guy the the main story follows one guy his name's tom thomas matthias he's a dci which i is a detective of some kind i know hardy and detective criminal investigations or something like hardy in broadchurch was a di which was a detective inspector so i think this is one above because his second in command in this is also a di but she's below him so I, I and from my watching, I've watched a lot of Midsummer Murder because my wife was into it. I think the DC is basically just like the chief or like an you know a high level inspector, something like that, where they are they are higher up in the police force. They're not like a patrolman. Gotcha. So I will say since since I jumped onto Broadchurch so soon, I'll, I'll jump further down on my notes here. I think my main core issue with this is that it tries really hard to be Broadchurch. It seems like the people who watched this, or the people who made this had watched Broadchurch and said, we can do that in Wales, but we're going to make it a mystery of the week. But it fails on almost every level. The characters are not likable, not a single one of them. The performances are wooden and one-dimensional and stilted, and the cinematography of Broadchurch is so beautiful, and the cinematography in this is not that Wales is gorgeous. The shots of the landscape are absolutely great, but there's shots of Matthias walking through the precinct at just just shy of a jog, and the camera is at like chest level, pointed up at his face, and it just looks so strange. Uh, when you say it's trying to be like Broadchurch, but 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 with a. Uh man i not a serial format but like the murder of the week style do you mean like they try and fit basically broad church's entire season into like a 90 minute episode yeah kind of it's it's just it has that kind of a feel where it's oh the the main character is the brooding detective with the slightly mysterious past and he comes to this this little this little hamlet i guess in wales and 
starts solving murders and his second in command is this woman who we're supposed to I think feel bad for because maybe she was up for the promotion even though that's never really explicitly stated it just it has a lot of the same thematic elements that Broadchurch has but it doesn't do anything with them in a good way this is see I watched first season of Broadchurch and I think we talked about it and I liked it and I think Broadchurch definitely works better as a serial but when you get into episodic things like these especially when they're 90 minute episodes so they're basically a movie you have to make it so the characters like the the characters are likable you know and usually it's like it's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek comedy something like that whereas if it's just like 13 episodes of 90 minutes of seriousness that is a lot of seriousness and I, I'm surprised you kept going back to it. It does not sound fun. It's not very fun. Like, there's really no points where it's lighthearted or I laugh. It's just about Matthias being a brooding and profoundly bad detective. It, so you had mentioned that this was episodic, but do they have it? I know at least in the American shows, like um, White Collar and uh, and all those... Um, that there tends to be like an overarching like season long mystery that they're also trying to solve. Do they have like a through line like that, or are these actually all episodic? In season one, there is no through line at all. It's just four straight mysteries, and then in season two, they take the like the final episode from season one and they make loose ends from that be like the overarching story. So there's there's a girl that gets murdered and her dad is is like a former cop with anger problems and so he comes back in season 2 as like a secondary antagonist in every episode. And then in season 3 there is a, a actually like a real overarching story and they tried to like retroactively make the season 3 story seem like it was going on the whole time, but I'm not buying it. Mm. Uh, so you mentioned that you didn't like Matthias, the the main character. Are there any characters in this you like? No, not really. <laughs> like they they give him this team, and it's Matthias, and then his second is uh, Diaris, and she does very little other than like just take him place to place. Ellis is a a nerdy guy who gets all the relevant data that he contributes to the team by like scouring old records and financial things and then dc owens honestly doesn't do anything for like two seasons it's i i honestly didn't notice until i started doing these notes but yeah in the first two seasons i don't know that she brings anything to the table it's like they just hired her and told her to be pretty for for seven straight episodes in season three she finally gets her own storyline but yeah, she doesn't really do anything else. Okay. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious, would you recommend this? Not without a huge disclaimer, really. Like, I've told people about this before and said, I, I watched it, I think I watched it for the first time when I was sick. So I should, I should say, as m- much trash as I have to talk on this show, I've watched it three times. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the first time I watched it, I was sick in bed, and it was like it was just there, and I don't know if it like imprinted in my brain or something. And now every now and then I'll, it'll pop up on Netflix because it's constantly saying, "Oh, you enjoyed Broadchurch, you should watch Hinterland," and it's like, "All right, fine." So I'll watch like one episode here or there, 
But yeah, I don't think without a huge caveat of this isn't super good, but if you're really into like mystery a day, murder TV shows, maybe give it a try and see. If you don't like it on episode one, do not stick with it. You aren't, you're going to get nothing else out of it. Uh, I'm I'm curious. Did you do you like this one better or that it was was it Swedish or French one you watched as well on Netflix? I can't remember the name. Oh, of it. Black Spot. Black Spot was good. It was actually engaging. I would definitely recommend that over over this. And in fact, I recommended it to my parents the other day, and they're already on season two. So I, I, Black Spot is definitely a recommendation. This one, not quite so much. Oh, just curious. Um, oh, I also okay. did want to uh, mention. I had read at one point when I'd watched this the first time that this gained a little bit of notoriety overseas because it was, I believe, the first TV show that was ever recorded twice. They recorded the entire thing once in English and once in Welsh. They Like they did every scene or they did like a, a subtitle? Every scene. So it's not dubbed. Wow. It's completely It was completely shot twice. That's crazy. Yeah, and when I watched it the first time, only season one was out in English, and so I watched all of season two in Welsh with subtitles because I was, like, sucked in because I was sick in bed and couldn't go anywhere. Do you think Tommy Wiseau was directing it and also had a 35 <laughs> millimeter camera and a digital camera also doing I hope so. <laughs> And now the PlayStation 5 had its release uh, announcement event last week. Uh, Christian and I both picked some of our favorite stories from it about like the games they're going to be releasing and things we think may be worth watching for. Uh, Christian, I know, and I am excited to talk to you about this because you actually texted me about it. Uh, what, what are you most looking forward to from the announcement of the PlayStation 5? Horizon Zero Dawn, Forbidden West. I guess it's just Horizon Forbidden West. Zero Dawn's the first game. Yeah, I before we get into talking about how great this is going to be and how cool it will be, I think they messed up their, their naming by being the first one, being like Horizon Zero Dawn instead of like Horizon colon Zero Dawn or something because everyone's just going to call this Horizon Zero Dawn. Too. Yeah, which, I mean, for sure I'm also going to be doing. I've watched this I, trailer. I had to look it up because I was like, is this Horizon Zero Dawn Forbidden West? And it's like, oh no, it's just Horizon <laughs> Forbidden West. I've watched this trailer, I think, 15 times. I, I'm excited. I was worried because I heard a lot of chatter on podcasts that people were thinking that there was going to be like a create-your-own-character co-op idea or something like that. I mean, these are all unsubstantiated rumors and they're going to ditch Aloy and... I did not think that was the direction they should go. No, that would have been a mistake. Yeah. Uh, so what is, do you do you did you look into this? Do you know what setting they're going to and stuff now? So a lot of it is still not super clear. All we really have is what we saw in the trailer. And if if you haven't seen the trailer, man, I'm telling everybody go watch the trailer because it's beautiful. I I had told someone a while back that my hope for Horizons two and three since they had announced that it's going to be a trilogy at least, is that they leave almost everything the same and just push the map out in all directions. So we'd get out to the Pacific Coast, we'd go inland to like the Great Plains, we'd go north into like the Canadian Rockies, 
and just discover new territories and new monsters and keep most of the mechanics the same. And at least on the pushing out in all directions, that seems to be exactly what they did. Because we're getting shots from the jungle, we're getting underwater shots, we're getting clips of Aloy riding on the beach next to the Golden Gate Bridge. So it looks pretty beautiful. Yeah, so so from what I've seen, it looks like there's portions of like how they kind of did a... They condensed Colorado into the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're seeing parts of California, some stuff from, I think, up in Oregon or Washington. So not quite the Pacific Northwest, but definitely the West and Northern, Northern Western portions, you know, like middle North Midwest. I don't know how to describe <laughs> it. Like you're not all the way up, but you're not like down in San Diego. Yeah. The main plot appears to be like a plague. There seems to be these red vines that have been growing all over the place and killing whatever they touch. So we'll see what happens with that. I had seen somebody make the the jump to Demeter, which is one of the Gaia subroutines from the first one, and she was in control of terraforming and, and plant life and things. So it's possible, since one of the subroutines was the bad guy in the first game, we and, and also in the DLC, it was Hephaestus was one of the other subroutines was the bad guy, so... Demeter could end up being the antagonist in this one, uh, but yeah, we'll see. Well, we we see Silence, and I'm I'm guessing that he is some way involved in being the bad guy after the the ending scene in the last one. That's what I would assume as well, and I would kind of be into that. For the whole first game, you're treated to this weird frenemies relationship, and I was never really a big fan of Silence, and I'm I'm sure Aloy felt largely the same way of you know. I'll keep you around because you're useful, but at a certain point, they're going to have to come into conflict with each other because their goals do not align. Right, and I, I, I'm curious, I've, I completely forgot that this was a trilogy, if that comes up in this game, or like that's the third game, is like, you kind of have people who started out on the against a common enemy, and then their paths diverge until they come into conflict for the finale. That that would be my guess, but I you know I have no idea. I'd be into that. That'd be cool. The only other thing that I wanted to bring up is the uh, variety of machines that we get to see in the trailer is outstanding. We get to see some old guys, but then we also see a giant mechanical snapping turtle. We see a machine pterodactyl that has like a like glider wings on it, which looks pretty cool. And then at the end, we get like war elephants, which looks so much fun. I I truly can't wait to, to try and take down a war elephant with a bow and arrow. I, I will say um, I'm excited for this game. I never pre-order consoles. Well, because when they came out before, I didn't have a job like a job <laughs> that could afford me to do that. I I it's going to be like a time. It's going to be a, an investment because I also want to get a 4K TV since mm. all this stuff's going to be true 4K and they're now affordable. Yeah. Um, so I, I am looking forward because no matter how good it looks like on our computers right now, it's going to look so much better on like with 4k resolution yeah i mean i i went back after i had bought horizon one and i watched the trailer because i truly never heard of it before i just picked it up on a whim and the trailer looked good but it didn't look nearly as good as the game actually ended up being so that's why i'm i'm really looking forward to this a lot yeah what's interesting about horizon um i think they completely created their game engine in-house to the decima engine i think it's the decima engine 
Um, and it's actually the one they lent to Kojima to do Death Stranding. Huh. Well, in uh, uh, be- if you got the DLC versions of Horizon, there are like Death Stranding DLCs or um, Death Stranding Easter eggs in it. Hmm. That, that that's why why I think because they were like I know Death Stranding is not a PlayStation Five exclusive; it's like a timed exclusive, but. They were like on good terms with him, especially once because this all happened like right after he got kicked out of Konami, and there's a lot of bad blood between them. So, um, so that's why. But I, I wonder now, like, if they're I assume they're still using that engine for the PS5. Yeah. I will say, Guerrilla Games' Instagram put on an enormous spread for the the Horizon trailer release. It's like thirty or thirty six panels on on their Instagram. So they put in one of those big mosaics that it makes one big picture. And I went scrolling back through Guerrilla Games' Instagram feed and I couldn't find pictures of any games other than Horizon. They went all in on this. Yeah. I mean I went back basically to 2017 and that's when I started seeing new games. But it's it's nice. just Horizon well, like I, fan art and cosplay and and just nothing else. Well, it, it, I I think I mean the first game was great. It's one of the best games on the PlayStation Five, um, or sorry, the PlayStation Four. <laughs> so I I think this is going to be good. And I and my guess is I did not see. Did they announce like a rough release date, like twenty twenty one, or did they not? Say not anything? that I saw. I was just assuming that this was going to be one of their like day one games. Uh, I, I don't know if it'll be day one, but my guess is it'll be like year yeah. one because a lot of the day one games either they're I think they're saying holiday twenty twenty gotcha. on, but well, the problem with Horizon Zero Dawn was was it came out I think in twenty seventeen, mm-hmm. um, which is four years into the PlayStation 4's life cycle, so you know it definitely wasn't a system seller. Mm-hmm. I think this one could be. Uh, I want to I want to get into my favorite game that I am pumped for <laughs> is they are remastering Demon Souls which I didn't actually play the Soul series until 2018 and I've talked about I think I I don't I I can't remember if we'd started the podcast or not yet when I had played that but we had definitely on the podcast talked about Dark Souls uh 3 and Bloodborne and maybe Dark Souls Remaster I also don't remember about that one but I love Demon Souls. It has been like rumored that they were doing um, a remaster of this. It is basically locked on the PS3 at this point. It kicked off the entire genre of the Soulsborne. Um, Dark Souls obviously probably being the most popular. Uh, but Demon Souls was a PS3 exclusive, and like PlayStation messed up by not locking down um, id software on this because the, again like people love these games this is another one that could have been a system seller yeah. and, and i am so excited to replay it and i think people who never have gotten the chance or people who haven't played it since 2009 are going to be pumped to play it because they're like it looks a hundred times better and i know some people are worried about like well part of the part of the fun of the last one was it was like kind of dingy you couldn't see stuff and and they're worried changing the environments might change the experience but Blue Point Games did the Shadow of the Colossus remake, and they did a great job. So, I am excited for this, uh, and this is like my system seller for me. Like I, <laughs> all the other games we're going to talk about looks cool, but I am really excited for this one. Yeah, after we've we've talked about, I know at least two of them, and after you've 
talk these up, I'm probably going to end up getting this one as well. Yeah, this is one, like, if we could play it together, that would be cool. Mm-hmm. These are the ones, like, it's a game you have to play until it clicks, but then when it clicks, it's like, I don't know, it's so yeah. good. Because it took me so many tries to get into, like, Soulsborne games, I think, like, three or four <laughs> until I did. And then I was like, oh, these games are awesome. Yeah. Uh, another big one, more so than Demon Souls, I think this is the one that I, I actually think this is the most impactful announcement because it is coming out holiday 2020. So if it's not a launch game, it is going to be a launch window game. Is Spider Man Miles Morales? This looks so good. Yeah, I mean, they hinted at it. Uh, I think Sony shot themselves in the foot a little bit because after they announced it like one of their execs on linkedin was like oh yeah this is an expansion or something so then people were like wait are they just releasing spider-man and this is an expansion pack and then sony had to come out and be like no no this is its own game but it's like we're not calling it two so they're kind of trying to call it like an expand alone so the best way I can describe it is it's like Spider-Man 1.5. Like, it's a side game where it's going to be on the next system. I don't think it's on PlayStation 4, but it's not like... It's not the second game in the series. I think they're going to reuse as many of the assets as they can on this one. Oh, okay. I was hoping that it was going to be, like, since such like a weird focal point in the first game was Peter Parker's inability to juggle being Spider-Man and being, like... A normal human being i was thinking maybe he was gonna say okay you know i'm i'm back with mj i'm gonna retire there's another spider-man out there yeah i i'm not sure and again this is all speculation on what people are guessing but uh i think this is going to be a, a little bit smaller in scope than the original spider-man um a lot of the comparisons i've been hearing is like the uncharted lots legacy game which was I think I think it came out after four, and it was basically like a side game. It was only forty dollars. It's a little bit smaller, um, or like uh, Infamous First Light. I think is is what it was. Where, um, but I, I'm not positive. But I, I don't think this is the second Spider-Man officially because I I think they don't want to completely rebrand it with miles morales is my guess i think they want to keep peter parker in it but yeah. they wanted to give him his own that game. makes sense i i still think it looks cool like i'm excited it was such a good game i'm, I'm definitely picking it up and i i mean spider-man came out in 2018 it's kind of crazy that this is probably going to be a launch game in 2020 yeah that's that's pretty good that's a good turnaround yeah but that also leads me to be like oh i feel like this is probably just like uh, it's not a completely new game because it has had such a like a de- short development True. schedule. I just I don't have much to compare with as far as like how long it takes to develop a video game. Typically, I, I working at the movies, I have a pretty clear idea of like what a good turnaround for a sequel for a movie is. I have a pretty good idea for books, but when I think about turnarounds for sequels for video games, the only thing I really have to judge is Kingdom Hearts, which is very not indicative. Right, like, video games are weird because some of them can go so long and some of them smaller in scope. I would say for a AAA game, um, I think Modern War or Call of Duty does it in two-year cycles, but they have two different studios, so, like, and I don't know if they still do this because I don't play Call of Duty, but it used to be, like, one studio would release one year and then they would do the other one the next year, so it was, like, two years, but that was also rushed. Uh, My best guess is it's probably around, like, three to four but again, I, I, that's, 
that's just anecdotal of me like kind of paying attention i don't know how correct <laughs> i am on that uh, another game that's coming out that I am actually really excited about for two is Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, which is one of the few demos we saw that actually had a lot of gameplay in it, and it looked awesome. That's one of the complaints I have about all these other ones that is that it was all just cinematics. There was no real gameplay, right? But uh, and most, of, I mean, when you do a lot of reveals, you tend to do it. But I'm glad they did include one. Uh, they're clearly showing off the SSD on the PlayStation 5 because they, you saw um, Ratchet using rifts or portals or something to jump between clearly different maps and not having a loading screen and stuff. But I love the Ratchet and Clank series. I like the soft reboot they did of or the remake. I don't know what you would call it of the first game in 2016. I know some people had complaints because it wasn't they felt the maps weren't as big as the first game, but I, I still thought it was really fun. I really liked uh, the third Ratchet and Clank on the PlayStation 2 um, up your arsenal. I, I loved that game. So I'm, I'm a fan of the series. I'm excited this for This is one that kind of passed me by. I never played any of the Ratchet and Clanks, and it, it seems like a game that people tend to associate with, like the Crash Bandicoot Spyro era for the first couple Ratchet and Clanks, and I don't know why I, like, I latched onto those, but I never played these ones. So what happened with Ratchet and Clank is they released basically, in my mind, in the PlayStation 2, there are like three mascotty style games, um, Ratchet and Clank, uh, Sly Cooper, and uh, Jack and Daxter. And they like their first games were similar enough, Ratchet and Clank and Jack and Daxter, but Sly Cooper is its own thing. Um, and they went their own wildly different ways. But I, I was a Ratchet and Clank fan. But Ratchet and Clank was developed by Insomniac, uh, who also eventually did Spider Man. Huh. That's really familiar, Insomniac. I know they. I think they might have did Spyro. I think so. And Naughty Dog did Crash Bandicoot. Yep, they, they did okay. Spyro. I was going to say that. Naughty Dog did I Crash. Know... I know that I had seen that, and I guess just from playing those, those Spyro remasters just recently, it was still in my brain. Yeah, I mean, those guys have been around since PlayStation 1, like, and they've had clearly like branched into different series. Um, Sony recently basically just bought Insomniac. They locked them down uh, because, for the most part, they've been releasing stuff on the PlayStation systems, but they did release Sunset Overdrive on Xbox One, and I don't think it sold well, and I always wanted to play it. I was disappointed. That game always looked cool. Uh, another game that's coming out that it, it looks cool, it's not for me though, is Resident Evil 8 The Village. It looks like they're extending the story from Resident Evil 7. It's back in the first person's perspective, Chris Redfield's back, uh, but it's not like the Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3 remakes they released the past two years. Um, and then these two, and I, I, these are ones that are just announced for the PlayStation 5, um, godfall which i think looks cool but it, it could be a flop like it's a third person action game coming out holiday 2020 so probably a launch game it looks interesting enough um i'm getting like warframe or like soulsy style vibes from it but I, I don't know if it'll be good or not but I, I think it's worth keeping an eye on and then although i do like this game i don't buy it yearly but this is uh, a hot seller is Madden 21 is officially announced <laughs> for next generation. Oh boy. Uh, and we laugh, but it was the third highest selling PlayStation game in 2019. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't really surprise me. Uh, 
right? Like that, like it's, it just, I mean, it sells, they release them every year and I like Madden, but I, I basically buy them every four or five years. And then I buy the year old edition because it's like 20 bucks compared <laughs> to 60. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's, that's all the PlayStation news. I'm curious. Did, did, do you have any thoughts on what the PlayStation five actually looks like? I don't hate it as much as other people seem to hate it. I don't either. My only worry is I've looked at like the size comparisons and it is like 30% larger than a PS4. Oh my God. It's huge. Yeah. I hadn't actually seen the actual size specs of it. I just saw the design that, that yeah that's big yeah but i i'm excited this i was like man playstation needs or sony needs to announce something and they did and i thought they, they they did a good job like they're like it's about games there's a new operating system here's the system i i, I thought it was good i'm excited the one thing i wasn't really expecting was the digital only version yeah, I wasn't expecting that either, and I'm glad that you have the option to buy either with a disc drive or without yeah, it. I, I don't know. I'm just waiting to see the prices. I want to know how much money I'm going to lose in in the fall, <laughs> because with the the yeah. things they announced, and there's, I guess there wasn't a Kingdom Hearts on the PS3, but they remastered them for it, and they're so obviously trying to set up to continue the series. So I wouldn't be surprised if another one comes out. But just with what they've announced so far, I'm I'm going to buy this. <laughs> this is the first right. time I felt this well, way about a console in a long time. This PS3 and PS4 came out, and it was one of those, uh, you know, if something comes out I really want to play, I, I guess I'll get it. And I, I ended up getting both of them eventually. But at no point was I really pumped to get a PS3 or PS4. But man, watching the, these release videos... This is the first time in a really long time I've been psyched for a console. You're talking about Kingdom Hearts. Did you see they're releasing like a rhythm game that looks like Guitar oh Hero? God, kind I of? did not see that. I am learning that right yeah. now, and I'm horrified by it. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's mobile or what, but I, I saw a news story. I was like, oh my gosh, what are they Yikes. Doing? Uh, I, I think what's, why Sony ended up going the digital only is obviously... Uh, regardless of how much I don't want it to go that way, because for the most part, I still like buying uh, disc versions of games. Clearly, in the next 10 years, I think discs are going to be phased out. Um, I I also wonder if this is coming in at a higher price point than they initially wanted, so like this is a way for them to like also get a cheaper version and without the disc drive. That's what I was thinking, but then it just means that there's going to have to be an enormous internal hard drive, right? I mean, it's an SSD card, so I can't imagine... Like, I can't see them going over a terabyte on an SSD. Like, those are pretty expensive. But then, like, how are you going to have... Are you going to have to stream all of your games? I I honestly don't know. The one thing I know they had talked about before was you could do, like, smart downloading. So it would hopefully reduce the file sizes. Because right now, like, uh, when you download... Uh, I can use this one because I know it's for... Uh, I'm pretty sure this is right, is... Uh, assassin's creed odyssey it's like a hundred gigabytes um but from what i've heard is a large portion of that is just sound packs from like all the different languages which with the smart stream like you're like okay i can get rid of that or i don't want the online component so you can just pick and choose and maybe that that will help it but i I don't know for sure 
Yeah, that was that was the conversation I had had with somebody was just I I don't know which one would be cheaper because yeah, you're saving money on the discs, but you're going to have to put that money the, the storage needs to go somewhere. So in, unless you're yeah, unless you're smart streaming everything, that's just uh, I don't know. One way they could adjust for it, and you can do this with the PlayStation. You can add your own hard drive. You can add a, like an external hard drive to it or yeah. upgrade it yourself. It just looks atrocious. <laughs> if they had like an easy way to add some sort of supplemental hard drive, so you're not relying entirely on the SSD. But I I don't know if they'll do that mm-hmm. or not. Alright guys, thanks for listening to our episode. If you would like to contact us, we are at Gambots Network on Twitter, and you can email us at gambots.blog at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions for the Amazon review game, please write in and we will probably end up using the game. Otherwise, we have a website now. It's gambotsnetwork.com. We've been posting uh, reviews for stuff we either talk about on the show or we don't get around to. Uh, Otherwise... If you're listening somewhere where you can rate or subscribe, we'd appreciate it as that does help with marketing. But thanks for tuning in, guys. Thank you.